Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about entitlement. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home or wherever they are what it is we do on this podcast. Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. It's actually been a little bit since we've had a podcast because we recorded early the last podcast. And this podcast is being recorded late. Um, so there's like actually like a lot of news in between here. But the topic of today's cast is... Like, the the amorphous idea of, like, gamer entitlement. This popped up in the news because of BlizzCon. Um, and if anybody's been following what went on with BlizzCon, essentially, I, I don't know. Okay, I, I want to give, like, a neutral take to this, but I do have an opinion. And I guess it's a strong one. But Blizzard um, gave a couple of hints and indications that this was going to be a big year for Diablo and the Diablo section of their fan base. Blizzard obviously doesn't have too many different game universes, and a lot of the times, uh, you know, like Warcraft or Starcraft will kind of pull the focus Overwatch, obviously. Um, and this year was supposed to be, like, the year of Diablo. Um, they made a couple of attempts to kind of dampen those expectations uh and then blizzcon rolled around and at blizzcon they announced a new mobile game made in partnership with a company that just made a uh like a big microtransaction driven mobile game in china um called diablo immortal and the fan base reacted exceedingly poorly um this kind of spurred on uh a a like two halves of of an idea i guess um on one hand you sort of had the gamers who say no we are the biggest fans of diablo we are the people that have been keeping uh you know that, that have been keeping the universe alive right we bought the necromancer pack we bought reaper of souls we bought diablo 3 you know like we are the base that you should be catering to um, and you're not by making a mobile game that seems completely antithetical to who we are as gamers. Um, and then on the other side, you kind of had people who took Blizzard's side and said, you know what, mobile games are a big piece of the pie, and Blizzard is making a good call by, you know, going out and, um, and getting their slice. Uh, and so that created a certain amount of controversy i guess and the whole conversation has been framed around this idea of entitlement right like are the are the gamers who are complaining about diablo immortal uh acting like entitled crybabies who didn't get what they wanted um or do they have some sort of a point i guess um to their criticisms of uh, of Blizzard and the Diablo Immortal announcement. And, and this is a theme that we've seen several times before. I think the most famous example is probably the Mass Effect 3 ending. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but it comes up every once in a while um, where uh, where uh, essentially the, the, the hardcore community at large does not like a move that a company has made. Um, and is viewed as being entitled, uh, or as is, is, is largely reported as being entitled. Weirdly enough, um, I, I don't know. I, I find that sometimes reporting is a little inconsistent because there's like huge outcry over like loot boxes, and like I feel like you could make the same argument like from the same place. But, you know, just like everybody hates loot boxes, no one wanted to call anybody entitled for not liking them. Um, 
but it, but but it's interesting. So so so, buddy, what is what is your take on on, on the immortal, um, on the immortal controversy uh, specifically? I know I know uh, uh, we we sometimes come down on opposite sides of, of this particular issue. But yeah, I'm curious. so I mean, so I actually feel th- I feel like this is interesting because I almost always come down on the like the developer side when it comes to this stuff, right? Like obviously, I work at a game company. I know developers. I know community people, um, and I believe from like the bottom of of my heart that these people are not vultures, right? Like trying to pick your wallet clean of all of its cash, right? They are trying to make fun and enjoyable games. Um, and a lot of the times their motives are kind of called into questions by like armchair developers um, who are kind of equal parts condescending and, you know, uh, uninformed about decisions that get made, right? And that kind of thing pisses me off all the time or whatever. But Diablo Immortal is the opposite of that. Like Diablo Immortal, I'm with the hate mob, right? I, I'm wielding a torch. I have my pitchfork ready to go. Because, like, I very much agree with them. I think I, if, I'm not even a, a big Diablo fan, but I think that they have, um, they have a right to be really disappointed in what Blizzard was, uh, announcing. And I feel like that they have, you know, that they have a right to, um, express those feelings in, like, a real and, and true way. And this isn't one of those cases where it's, like, you know, like I've criticized before about the the changes that came with Battle for Azeroth. Um, for instance, one of the things that happened with Battle for Azeroth is a lot of um, it's a lot of moves got put on the global cooldown, which the community universally really hates, except for people who can sort of see past the the sluggishness it adds to the gameplay for the benefit that it adds, which means that you no longer have kind of like one-shot macros where somebody hits a macro, it activates all of their cooldowns in order, and then they smash somebody for like a bazillion damage, right? And so like to me, that is an instance where people just kind of don't understand why the change got made from a development point of view. Um, but this one, it's just kind of like, what can you say for the developers? I, I have a really hard time constructing an argument um, that that appeals to them because all of the evidence kind of seems to point against it, right? We have we know the company that they were working with. Um, we know that they didn't include anything for the PC base of their game, and that mobile games is something that Blizzard hasn't engaged in basically ever kind of plus or minus hearthstone right um they said a couple of things during the conference that i think were honestly a little shitty and out of line you know um there was one response that like do you have a phone response that i think is the one that's kind of been called out the most uh and i think that that response was not a good one from like a kind of community management perspective right it sort of um I don't know. It sort of sounds to me uh, like Blizzard really wasn't re- wasn't expecting this kind of a reaction um, and kind of flailed around a little bit um, and said some stuff off the cuff that they probably shouldn't have. Uh, I also read some reporting that Diablo 4 was set to be announced at BlizzCon but then pulled from the announcement roster. So it also just kind of seems like Blizzard had something in place to, you know, mollify um, this group of gamers who was look- who were looking for more Diablo PC content and 
purposefully got rid of it so i don't know there's a there's a lot of different pieces of this story but in general i find myself on the side of the gamers saying yeah blizzard is a company that we care a lot about and they really let us down yeah so um a couple of thoughts on that um first i would like to point out that i think it was Eurogamer reported that like so jason trier reported that um uh, and Kotaku that they were going to announce Diablo 4 and Blizzard categorically denied it in a different publication. Um, so, you know. Yeah, it was a very, like, rumors, rumors. Yeah, post, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, um, but I, I think that, that I think I think there's a couple things here. Um, like, I, I in terms of your general take, I, I, I feel your point about kind of, like, design decision type stuff. Um, uh, I, I, it's, I'm not going to go into it right now, but I, I feel like there's kind of, like, um, a conversation to be had about like what entitled means and like whether and 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 how we go about discussing that. But I think that's a broader point. But in terms of the, the the immortal stuff specifically, I am with you. I think they have every right to be aggravated. I think Blizzard's biggest misstep, like I think Blizzard has a right to make a Diablo mobile game, right? That seems like a smart marketing move. I don't think that that's particularly a problem. I think their big misstep was presenting it at BlizzCon, which is not a place where you present mobile games because the people going to BlizzCon are not probably mobile gamers. Um, uh, like I also want to state for the record, by the way, that I have a lot of friends who go to BlizzCon. Obviously, I live in Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, and I actually have heard only universal praise for Diablo Immortal. Um, everybody who tested it out on the game floor, uh, when we talked about it a little bit after the fact, a lot of them were, were also disappointed in the announcement, but they did kind of have to reluctantly admit that the game itself did seem um, pretty fun and pretty cool, and that there is a certain amount of um, question what the, like, what the kind of uh, monetization practices for the game are going to be. Um, because that didn't seem to be entirely clear from the demo or uh, the demo or the announcement, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I so uh, I, I also think that that part of this is uh, um. I, so I just wanted to, to to continue on with the point about uh, uh about the wrong venue. Um, I think another example we could look at is Nintendo released Super Mario Run, which is a mobile game, didn't receive any type of backlash, and I, I think there's a couple things there I think it's a useful comparison point. One, that game was announced at WWDC, the Apple, um, like, convention, uh, so, you know, not at, not at a, a gaming convention, but at a cell phone convention, um, or not cell phone, but, you know, it's, it's, it's Apple news, so kind of. Um, I think another part of this, too, is that, uh, you know, Mario, to, there are infinite numbers of Mario games, and they're always coming out. So there's no like kind of like, there's no desire to, to hear more Mario, or you know, the desire to hear more Mario news was not like at such a fever pitch, and it wasn't hinted at earlier, right? Like that announcement uh, was uh, was a total uh, surprise. The Super Mario Run one, um, right? Absolutely. Um, and I, I think actually kind of like the biggest. I think the, the biggest thing is that not, not only was this announced at BlizzCon, but it was announced as kind of like the piece de resistance as like the stinger at the end of the opening ceremony, right? Like, I feel like, um, like I've heard people suggest that if they had teased Diablo 4, that people wouldn't have reacted so poorly. We've seen similar things happen when they announced like Funko Pop Gears of War. Um, yeah. Um, and like, you know, and, and no one no one got mad at Todd Howard for announcing the Elder Scrolls game because, you know, they showed teasers of Star Starfields and uh and Elder Scrolls Six. 
Um, but I also think they could have gotten away with it mostly if that was like, you know, like one of the random announcements in the middle of it. Um, it still probably wouldn't have been received as well. But the fact that it was announced as a stinger, I think, I think uh, definitely tweaked tweaked that that kind of uh, nerve a little bit harder, if that makes sense. No, uh, I definitely, uh, I definitely agree with that. I I actually likened it a lot to Diablo Mortal when this um, Diablo Four stuff happened, where it's like. Boy, like, if the end of that presentation was a Diablo 4 stinger, I think it would have gone over a lot differently. Um, I also think to a certain extent that Blizzard has, like, a, a different, I don't know what I would call this, like, maybe, like, a different, like, timbre um, in, like, the musical sense um, of at, just, just, like, as a company. Um, because, like, it feels a lot different to me when something like Microsoft announces a bunch of titles, um, or, you know, uh, Nintendo announces a bunch of different titles, um, because there are always going to be a lot of them, right? But Blizzard doesn't do that. They make, indivi they make individual titles, and over the course of their history have made, like, what, like, 10 games or whatever? If you compare that to, you know, if you compare that to Nintendo or to Activision or to any of, like, the in-house EA games, right? At the end of the day, there are, what, six big in-development active Blizzard games? World of Warcraft, Diablo 3, StarCraft, Here's the Storm, Overwatch, and Hearthstone, right? Um, and they don't announce new games all that often, so there's a certain amount of kind of, like, well... Blizzard doesn't announce a lot of new games, and if the new game they are announcing is Diablo Immortal, that is, like, cannibalizing the space in the development of, you know, hypothetically speaking, Diablo 4. Um, which isn't to say that I think that that's true, right? But I think that Blizzard lends itself to that perception and that kind of, like, knee-jerk reaction um, from the community at large because of the kind of... Um, you know, uh, like very curated space that they have created for themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I also think there's an aspect to this that, like, um, like I feel like the con, the, these BlizzCon and, and any of these kind of particular, uh, uh, uh like media events in, in a way are supposed to be kind of rubber stamping, you know, like acceptance, right? Like, kind of like hype fests. For everything, um, yeah. and I, I think kind of like, at the, because of the way that that works, and because it's in front of a live audience, you kind of are heavily relying on. I don't want to say it called the goodwill, but kind of like the, the the, the kind of uh, the, the adoringness of your fans to prop you up, um, and I think I think that like the fans have every right to take that kind of adoration away if you don't live up to their their promises uh, yeah. or live up, live up to your own promises at, at, at kind of any point. Um, and so I think that, like, um, I, I, I think that, that this reaction was... I don't... Well, first of all, I don't, I don't understand how this reaction was unexpected. Um, uh, so uh, something I think that's a little bit of, of a twist of nuance I wanted to ask you about is I've, I've seen the opinion that you know, regardless of how you feel about the actual announcement, um, that, like, the behavior of, in particular, uh, the red shirt guy who asked if this was an out-of-season April's Fool's joke was kind of a dick. Um, and, you know, I've seen people use that to, to, to dismiss the entire 
controversy, but that's neither here nor there, I guess. But um, how do you feel about about that particular aspect, about, like, you know, kind of, like, snarkiness? That's interesting. Uh, I would probably find myself in agreement um, with that. Boy. I would find myself in agreement that that guy was, was like, a jerk or whatever. Um, but in a certain sense, I think he was a little bit of a voice for the frustration. I saw that that clip got shared a whole lot, like, on Twitter. We shared it among our kind of, like, group of people as a moment that, I don't know, was a little bit, you know, vindicating for the feelings that, of disappointment that people, um, that people kind of had. And I sort of, like, wonder if, you know... Um, you know, I guess I would probably condemn it as a dick move, right? That's like a mean thing to say, and obviously people shouldn't be mean or whatever. But I think kind of the more interesting and important piece of that is that it legitimately seemed to kind of speak to people um, and and give them a voice for the frustration that they were feeling. Yeah, no, I I, I think I kind of agree with that. I definitely think it was it was absolutely mean spirited, but like I feel like part of what BlizzCon is is supposed to be a, like a, a forum for like they, they have high amounts of audience interactivity right and in that forum kind of like putting out your opinion isn't I think so much of a taboo especially when like it, it's it is in line with like the popular sentiment right like he didn't get booed down for that um he was like you know like that 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 kind of line was like embraced by the community at large that was there so I I, I think I I, th I think it was kind of ultimately like like a a mean thing to do, but I think you're also kind of allowed to be critical of, essentially a a, a large company that is trying to get you to spend money for them, right? Like yeah yeah um yeah. you know yes it's it's you know maybe it would have been a, a more platonic ideal if he had said if he had got up there and said you know. Um, dear sirs, this game is not to my tastes and I will not be spending a penny on it. Um, and that is that, but you know, that doesn't have quite the same bite as, uh, as, as a snarky comeback. And yeah, I, I feel like splitting the hair there isn't so much of a problem, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I very much, uh, I very much agree with you. Um, so just, just to broaden this out a little bit, um, what are, so, uh, th this is obviously one of, of, like I said, a handful of events that we've seen over the past handful of years. Um, and, and, uh, as you said, you usually come down on the developer side. Let's, let's, um, let's take, I think, like I said, the classic example, the, the ending of Mass Effect 3. Um, I believe you're on the side of Bioware in that situation as yeah. well. Um, and uh, especially from the perspective of, uh, I think... So, so this is something that I think happens pretty often among in like gaming spaces, um, which is that kind of like, you know, like there's a CGP Grey video about how kind of outrage spreads like a virus online, um, and it and it ricochets and ripples out, and the ripples make all the other ripples stronger um, a lot of the time. Um, and I feel like what happened with something like the ending to Mass Effect 3 or what happened uh, to a certain extent, this is what I've criticized about the oh, like the early reception to Battle for Azeroth um, and, and, and another of other, you know, uh, like other instances over time of this kind of thing popping up um, 
is, you know, one person is disappointed or dissatisfied and they voice that dissatisfaction and then, you know, whatever it is, comments on a Reddit thread or replies to a tweet or something along those lines will kind of end up reverberating and, and empowering that opinion. And it's kind of like a downward spiral of, you know, kind of like negativity um, off of that. And I think that that's kind of what happened when it, when it comes to Mass Effect 3's ending. Um, I agree with people that Mass Effect 3's ending, like, wasn't uh, insanely satisfying or the best. I think it was a bad ending as part of, like, as part of the game. Um, but I think people are missing for the forest for the trees when they define the game solely by, like, the dissatisfaction of, you know, the ending. Um, and I, and I think Mass Effect 3 is a great game, right? Like, it is a great game with a shit ending, and those are things that exist. Um, so, you know, I don't know. So so that's definitely how I feel about it when it comes to stuff like Mass Effect 3, right? I'm more than willing to concede that, that I think that that ending is not good. Um, but anybody that tells me that the whole game is ruined by that ending, I think, is kind of... Um, is is deep down that, that hole of frustration and resentment uh, and probably needs to let some of that anger go in order to in order to get a good you know i don't know in order to have have a good sense of what what's going on yeah no i i i, I feel that um I, I look at it through a slightly different lens or at, at least in terms of like the 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 the, the entitlement issue um i know that when the 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 kind of controversy first broken um you know, there were, I think it was Colin Moriarty, um, wrote the first kind of article calling gamers entitled for not liking the end to Mass Effect 3. And I, I think there's some, some nuance here. Um, yeah. but I think that like that, that kind of phraseology frustrates me because I think that, you know, as a consumer of a product, you, you are definitely entitled to have your opinion about the piece of media that you have paid for and that you are consuming and to kind of dismiss a swath of opinions because, um, because the, 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 uh, the gaming populace presumes that they have a right to an opinion, um, is, is kind of garbage, right? Like I, I, I definitely, like, I think they, they do have that fundamental, right? Like they are, they are consumers of a product and they have every right to say that, you know, I think this is bad. I think, it gets into wonkier territory when you talk about like calls for a new ending. I see, I think we see this a lot kind of like with like people calling for the last Jedi to be like remade or something. Oh man. Uh, wow. That's a great, yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of that, that, but it is right, a like, connection. And by the way, like Bioware caved, right? They did, um, they put out, I think it was called like the extended cut DLC that changed, uh, that changed the ending though. It was kind of after, by the time that that got put out, you know, it takes it takes a while to put together DLC. Um, I feel like the whole kind of thing had blown over, and I never really got a sense for whether or not people were satisfied or unsatisfied with that ending. Though I will say that eventually, that when the DLC cycle for Mass Effect Three finished um, with a DLC called Citadel, um, that basically that DLC got universal praise um, from anyone in the mass effect community and it's like and it's typically considered by fans to be the quote-unquote true ending of the game um because it gives a lot of the sort of like uh you know like relationships and send-offs 
um, that people have always been, you know, had always been asking for when it came to Mass Effect. That 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 uh that makes a lot of sense. Um, but, but I kind of do want to get your take on, um, you know, on, on one just kind of like gamers as as uh, as as entitled to the their opinions in in some form, and two like so so I'm kind of torn specifically about the. Uh, you know, demand for a new ending, right? Like, I, at the one hand, I think that it's, it is, I don't want to say reasonable, maybe maybe I do want to say reasonable, but, like, I think it's okay to voice your opinion that I would prefer a different ending, and if the company takes enough of that input and takes that to heart and says, okay, we'll give it to you, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that, but I do think that there's a, a bit of presumption there to kind of, like, I, I feel like if, you know, like, to feel like that that is, owed to you i think is uh is 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 a bridge too far and i think it's also kind of hard to parse like the difference there right like outwardly they kind of express themselves the same way um but i think but you know there's i think a difference between someone who says you know who who says i would like a new ending and someone who says you owe it to me to make a new ending um, yeah, no, I, I think that that and there and there are a lot of like reverberations of that kind of um, of that kind of like behavior. And to a certain extent, I think it's a lot fairer with games than it is with something like The Last Jedi. Um, the Last Jedi, the line between uh, producer and consumer in in media is is much more pronounced, obviously, um, because you don't there's no like participation other besides showing up to a theater and sitting down, right? Um, in the same way that there is when it comes to a game. Um, in fact, and this is one of the things I actually found was really interesting about, like, the Mass Effect 3 thing, is that um, specifically Kotaku had a lot of sort of, like, dueling editorials about it, where, like, different reporters would take different sides in that argument. Um, and one of them that I found actually pretty compelling is, like, the no, it's not entitlement, right? Part of being a player in a game is taking on some of the duties of the producer of that content, right? And I get to make decisions about the direction of that story. And I get to make decisions about what characters do what when and stuff like that. And that is a real thing that makes gamers, to a certain extent, entitled to to the kinds of changes that we're talking about in Mass Effect 3. And, and insofar as I'm willing to agree that Bioware needs to change the ending, I think that's the strongest argument you can make, right? That's one specifically about how like games as a medium um you know kind of like kind of work from the ground up um when it comes to something like film or whatever it, you have like a much higher barrier to entry i think the only thing i could possibly can like the only thing that you could compare it to would be kind of like demands for like an alternate cut um you know like the <laughs> release the Snyder cut is the <laughs> meme version of this, right? But all of the different Blade Runner cuts is kind of the straightforward version of this. The yeah, original yeah. Blade Runner is the, you know, is tainted by the theatrical cut and people liked the movie, but they know that there's more underneath there. And so there are demands to revisit it and Ridley Scott revisits it. And there's a director's cut. And then there's another weirder director's cut. And then there's the final cut, which is like the actual for real people cut. Um, and, uh, and I think that, and I think that those sorts of things are reasonable in a way. Um, I think the the difference in between like Blade Runner or something like that is that it comes from kind of like a place of love more than it comes from a place of 
uh, like outrage, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like those things are two sides of the same coin, though, right? Like, you don't get outraged unless you really, like, care for the underlying property. Is that... I, I feel like that's kind of fundamentally true. You don't get outraged unless you care for the under... I mean, yeah, okay, I feel that. Um, no, I, in, Like, in a, in a certain sense, I feel more entitled as a fan... Of, okay, let's say I feel more entitled as a fan of Batman vs. Superman to say there should be an an ultimate cut, right? The, a director's cut to this movie because I like the thing. Then I feel to say, you know, uh, there should be an alternate cut of whatever it is, you know, like of Justice League because I didn't like this thing. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I don't... Hmm. I don't know if I quite... I see your point, but I I, I feel I feel like this, the Snyderverse is a little... A little bit harder to to kind of pull these strings in because it's it's smaller, right? Like, um, it's less cohesive, right? Like, it's I I think the fundamental difference that, that I'm kind of pointing at is like, there's never been saying like, I think the Last Jedi needs like a reworking because I don't like the Last Jedi versus I think the Last Jedi needs a reworking because, um. I really like Star Wars, right? Like, and, right, right, yeah. um, I, I think it kind of falls along those same lines, just kind of like on yeah, a that broader is actually kind scale. Of tough. And I do think that there is like, I do. So I do think that there is good entitlement and bad entitlement, right? Like I wouldn't say that entitlement itself is like a problem that needs to be solved or whatever. Um, and I think that there are things that gamers can feel legitimately entitled to. There's actually a tweet. This is, this is, this is where we're bringing in the, the hot takes. Um, there's actually a tweet that kind of got me started on this, like, line of thinking um from everyone's favorite neckbeard on youtube boogie2988 he tweeted out uh six days ago ever notice journalists are acting entitled when we are mad about monetization and microtransactions but people who demand their social agenda be represented in game in games never get entire never get called entitled by the same people right which is to say that there's a certain amount of hypocrisy there right if I'm a journalist and I think it's a good thing that, you know, uh, that the the efforts Bioware has taken over the course of its RPGs to integrate LGBT romance, right, um, they're, that they're, uh, that that's a form of entitlement that we all say is good, right, which is very true and I do agree with that. Um, and so there is a certain amount of kind of like, you can't hate you. Like it's, it's not about the method. It's about the target to a certain extent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think this rolls into, in, into a related thought, which is kind of like, um, my fundamental, I think kind of problem with, with the accusation, which is it's, it's not that the problem is that, you know, whatever subset of people is entitled, it's that their criticism is off base or incorrect right like um and you know obviously uh, opinions can can differ there but i think i i honestly feel like calling someone entitled is kind of like a shortcut kind of maybe even like ad hominem way to kind of like avoid speaking to the issue on the merits um and, and I, I think that, like, that's, like, you know, I think you can make those arguments on the merits, and it's a much stronger case rather than just saying, like, you don't have a right to complain about this. 
if that makes sense. Oh, interesting. Right, like, like I think if you want to, if you want to make the argument, right, that that uh, that you know that it, you know uh, people who demand LGBT representation in games are entitled. I think you know that's like a true statement, but that's not like an argument, right? Like that's just saying that's like like saying that they, they feel entitled to representation as if that holds some value to it. And I, I, I don't think that's the important thing to be arguing. It's, you should be arguing that like LGBT uh, kind of uh, inclusion in games is, is a good thing on its own merits and that whether or not the people, there are people demanding it is, is kind of irrelevant to the situation in a lot of ways. Wow. That's actually really convincing. I kind of super feel that. I kind of super like so to a certain extent like if it is a good thing it it grows out of in uh, like an entitlement argument and that even calling it entitlement is kind of like um it's kind of like wrong. Yeah, I I even if it's a bad thing, right? Like if you disagree that like the Mass Effect 3 ending is bad or kind of in your specific thing that like that doesn't make the whole game bad, you can engage with that on its merits you, you kind of did that right like your, your your initial statement on it was was not you know like gamers are entitled for not liking it so you engage with that argument on the merits i think that's what you actually want to do you don't want to just like try and dismiss your opponent's claim wholesale by claiming they have no right to that um right yeah yeah and that makes a lot of sense to me um i do think that there's there's another angle that i, I kind of want to examine this from um because uh, i i think that uh, a lot of this is actually wrapped up in kind of like the games as a consumer product versus games as art kind of dichotomy that we've uh, discussed before. And I do think that like, I think part of this impulse comes from um, the kind of, I don't know if I want to call it a truism, but like the, the idea that like telling someone that their art is wrong is like, is kind of entitled in a way that I think is much more valid for the art sphere than it is for like the sphere that I'm talking about where you should argue on the merits. Um, and uh, I think that because games kind of straddle that line, it's easy to kind of like misdirect or like not, maybe not even misdirect, right? Like um, kind of fall like fall on weird sides of, of, of that strata, right? Like, if you want to tell me that people shouldn't be demanding that Mass Effect have a new ending because that fundamentally changes the art and, like, you're not entitled to change someone's art, I think I buy that argument a little bit more. But I I, I, I feel like there's some nuance there that, 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 that I'm trying to grapple with. Do you have any thoughts? I... So in a certain sense, that actually comes back down to the, the the distinction that we've made before, like the games as art criticism versus like games as consumer product for review idea. Like to a certain extent, I feel like the um, like some of these arguments that get made about this stuff is entirely inside of like a it's like you know it's like it's like i'm reviewing a vacuum cleaner it's like yes i'm entitled to a vacuum cleaner that works this is actually something by the way this is language that gets used all the time um it's pretty clear that 
we think about games as a consumer product a lot of the time and not as like a work of art and the way that we talk about it and like critique these things is like boils down to that right like the second tweet in this response in this thing from boogie 2988 is maybe it's okay to criticize a product maybe we can criticize the content as well as its pricing structure maybe it's it's okay as a consumer to not like a thing and talk about it right i don't really think he's making a I don't really think he's making an appeal to like, you know, an artistic critique. Right. I think he's making an appeal from from a you know, um, from a kind of like consumer product critique, if that makes sense. Um, and that's something that we see all the time in like the you know in the different ways that people respond to games because like you know when some when games reviews are saying this is a fun game that you'll get 40 hours out of right it's it's like it's a much more kind of utilitarian sort of thing than saying oh this game has a lot of deep complex themes about the nature of fatherhood and parenting right like or what you know like whatever kind of thing which is which is what we would see in a more in a more artistic critique um i tend to think that artistic critiques are like more interesting and valuable in the long run um especially as like games drop in price and stuff like that um it kind of games sort of i i feel like have a have like a like a like a decaying relationship with their own with their own product hood um if you think about a game like you know something like dishonored maybe that came out you know dishonored came out six years ago and it came out and then and it was a 60 dollar game and the question is well is this worth your 60 dollars right but as time has gone on and steam sales or whatever have have you know dropped the price and now you can pick it up for five bucks in the in the fall steam sale or whatever now the question is well is this worth your time kind of from like an artistic perspective right because the money is trivial at that point um and to a certain extent i wonder about that when it comes to sort of like the entitlement uh the entitlement uh argument in general right maybe maybe what entitlement is kind of code for is you know is kind of attacking this idea that we do criticize games as consumer products for you know uh for review first and not the the kind of pieces of art or culture that we all profess they want we want them to be right you know all gamers want games to be treated as serious art I don't know if that's true. I think that's pretty true. I uh, I, I I mean I I know some some voices that that are like stridently opposed to that kind of classification. Um but that's I I think I I do think that that like a lot of kind of like the the more serious press is but I also think that like a lot of the gaming base doesn't care as much, right? Like especially like you know, and, and I think the stratified is pretty heavily out by game, but like, I don't think, I don't think anybody cares about Diablo as art. I don't think many people care about COD as art. Um, I think the argument for Mass Effect is a little bit more fifty-fifty, and then something like like an indie project like uh, like yeah, Undertale so I, so or Inside. Would, yeah, I, so I would agree with you that I don't think people look at uh, COD. I do think people look at Diablo that way. There are a lot of arguments about Diablo lore. Um, which I found in the aftermath of this whole thing, like reading the Diablo subreddit, which I actually found very interesting <laughs> as somebody who's deeply invested in another Blizzard properties lore and not Diablo at all, obviously. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think games. I think it's it's bigger than that, right? Um, you know, gamers. Even if you're like a gamer on Reddit and you're playing, you know, whatever COD all all day every day or PUBG or something like that, um, you are likely to have like a real kind of artistic connection to you know some game. You know, like Red Dead Redemption. Obviously, the Red Dead Redemption Two just came out, and Red Dead Redemption One is a very good game with like a lot of like art to it. Um, and it comes up all the time when somebody will be like, what's a great time that games used music or whatever. And people will quote this time from Red Dead Redemption or whatever. So I think as a, like in a macro sense, that is kind of an overlying, you know, like kind of like an overlying goal, even if it's not individually a micro sense for every single interaction with every single game. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, 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 I actually, you know, who's a great example of this is Dunkey. Because Dunkey will put out videos and they're essentially just five-minute shit posts about whatever game. But then every once in a while, he will put out a serious video with like a serious artistic critique of, um, of you know whatever, uh, whatever game it is. And I feel like that is sort of the, that is is what I'm I'm capturing in a way. And, uh, I, I, I definitely think that's a significant voice, but I'm not convinced that it's like. Uh, that it's kind of like as universal a voice as you want to paint it as, right? Like, I think that there are, like, to use movies as an example, there are plenty of people who like watching Transformers and don't give a shit about Oscar bait. Um, and I think that, like, in, in a similar vein, there are plenty of gamers who just like using games as kind of like a, uh, a leisure tool and not as, like, some sort of artistic exploration. Um, I think the number of gamers that never use something as artistic exploration is it would be very low. I, like, I, I, I might I agree, agree with that. It's not all the time, but like, you know, like Undertale comes out and everybody gets really into Undertale or, or whatever the case may be. And I feel like the way that people engage with Undertale is more artistic than it is um, kind of in that like consumer, you know, sports way that we would engage in COD or in League of Legends or something like that. So it's definitely not a universal thing. I, I would, I, it, I would agree. Uh, but it, it's something that I feel like all gamers over the course of their lifetime, they have they have blips of this. And there are some gamers that are only looking for this kind of thing, obviously. Sure, right? like, absolutely. I am much more drawn to uh, a good story in a game than I am to, like, it's good sports mechanics, obviously. Um, but in general, I, I think that gamers do want, you know, I, I think gamers want games as a media to be i guess i would say to be capable of being you know art right um and not though like not necessarily across the board i don't think anybody's really arguing that cod 4 or cod blops 4 is the you know is the new art game to play sure i mean but i, I do think that there's like a, a very significant part of the population that primarily engages with with, with these games as sport, right? They play COD for yeah. the competitive aspect, and they're very interested in, in games actually being taken seriously as, as a competitive, uh, kind of competitive, like as an eSport, right? Like, as, right, yeah. Like, yeah and yeah, that eSports are as being, like, a, a, a real competitive event. I actually think that, like, like the core of those tensions kind of lies at a heart of, uh, of a lot of these issues um, where, like, you know, where, 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 where sport re meets art, where consumer products meet, like, you know, artistic expression, um, I, I think drives a, a lot of these conflicts in a, in a way that, uh, in a way that's, I don't know, kind of unproductive in a lot of ways. I, I, I think part of the, I don't want to call it part of the problem, but part of kind of like the unrealized, um, un unrealized friction is that a lot of 
mainstream games media, I think does take, does prioritize kind of the art lens. And I think that's why like you, you've gotten like kind of a, uh, a, a rise of kind of like the of, of the of the the YouTube media uh, kind of because I think that they tend to be more product focused right like you know if you if you take kind of the the, the king of this which is you know rest his soul total biscuit right like he was a totally consumer focused um platform and people valued him for that um, I would disagree actually I think he spoke to the art in plenty of games plenty of times. But I, I don't think that was his focus, right? Like I, I, I didn't, I don't, I never went to to, to Total Biscuit to, to to get his takes on the art in the game. I went to it to see if you know, I went to it for port reports to see if the game was worth buying on PC. Um, so I mean, so sure. Uh, but I, but the, the, I guess the point I'm making is that like gamers contain multitudes, sure, right? And for every gamer that's going to be like sport focused. Um, there is a time in their life where they are willing to set that aside and be art focused. And I think the same is true. Like and the opposite is also true, right? Um, for every gamer that really only plays, you know, single player, you know, maybe they're only playing a lot of indie games these days. Cause that's where a lot of the, like the art games are. Yeah. They probably play overwatch with their friends sometimes. Um, and that game, and that there's like, I, and I wouldn't characterize the gamer subculture as being exclusive to either of, of yeah, those uh, the, it, it is. It's a big swirl of both of them. When good art games come out, a lot of gamers pick them up. You know, The Walking. We we just had a whole episode about how Telltale had amazing success with The Walking Dead season one, and it, I, that it boils down, I think, to that sort of interaction. The Walking Dead season one was such a good game, and it was such a good artistic experience that it reached across. Like I don't want to call it an aisle because I think that there's a lot more. Yeah, I, 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 like on, like that game was successful, but it wasn't as successful as like Call of Duty or Overwatch or or, or any of the bigger you know games of sports game games. Um, and you know I, I think that there's there's some nuance there. Uh, so are, so is it because so would you say that games as sport games are more successful than games as art games and therefore have a bigger footprint in the in the culture and that's. I, so, I think that I don't know. If, I, so I, I think there's some nuance there, right? Like I also think that there are more games, just art games, kind of just out there in the same way that there are many more kind of like, you know, uh, like smaller independent films tend to be a little bit more arts focused than than kind of being blockbuster. You know, there's no small independent blockbuster, um, and I think that I, I think that it, there's just there's just an, uh, an inherent tension there um that kind of leads to a lot of um that le that, that that leads to 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 a kind of disconnect i think between man see I, I don't see the same tension that you do i think that in a lot of ways sport games kind of underlie the culture in the sense that they tend to be long-running games that people return to with continuous content over and over again. But I think that the culture tends to stop dead for big art games when they come out, and we have a good example of that. The last three, one, you know, God, the God of War, Spider-Man, Red Dead Redemption, back to back to back, these are single-player, story-focused games that kind of stopped the culture dead for two weeks apiece so that everybody could just, like, flood all of the gaming subreddits with screenshots of them or whatever. Um, and I think that that's like a, that's like a real sort of significant 
That's like, that's a that's a significant thing. Sure, but um, I, but I also that, think that those games are like propped up by excellent kind of uh, mechanics as well, right? Like by ex- by their excellent sport. Like people kept like play through the optional content in those games because you know swinging in Spider Man is fun, and you know doing the the, the melee combat in in God of War is is great. Um, right, right, right. But are those expressions of some kind of sport? I believe. Yeah, I, I think they are. Right. Like I don't. I don't think there's like artistic expression in kind of those moments. Like I. I like I don't think. I absolutely think that there is artistic expression in those moments. I, I don't think it's bereft of artistic expression, but I don't think that's the primary focus. I don't think like. No, I. No, sick, I would say it is the primary focus in those. Moments. Oh, I, I think that I think that's that's garbage. Like, th- there's no artistic expression in like sweet web combos in Spider-Man. What? Of course there is. In the same way that there's artistic expression in like good edits or a good shot. Right, a good shot that makes you feel the impact in an action movie. That's like, that's a that's an artistic moment. I yeah, but like I'll that I mean, if you want to take that argument, then like there's artistic expression in like shooting a light machine gun at somebody in COD. Uh yeah, I mean yeah, I mean to a certain extent yeah. I mean I I, I just I I don't I don't think that 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 really follows i don't think that floating button prompts like like yes that there's like game feel there and there's hmm. like i i see your point but i don't think i i don't think i buy that like the thing that drives engagement there is artistic engagement i think the thing that drives that that uh that that drives engagement there is is good mechanics feel and good 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 uh sport in the games i i see i i guess i so okay i don't think that I think games as a as a whole can kind of be looked through as this like sport or art lens, but I don't think that you can parse inside of the game itself and say like this is a games as sport mechanic or this is a games as art mechanic in a lot of ways. I think that that's kind of, it's kind of like impossible to to like break it down to that kind of a to that kind of a level. And so any game I think that is engaging people from a from a a point of view of sort of uh, like the single player story, right? Any single player story is kind of automatically qualified in this games as art. I, I, I think I, I think that that's I think that that's a a, uh, a, a, a like an excuse to shoehorn in like this 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 arts argument, right? Like I I, I don't like I think that you could hand Spider Man to a person who doesn't care about the story and they will have a blast with that game purely as sport. And I think that that's just, that, that's a valid interpretation as well. I mean, are they having a blast with the game if it's as sport? If, I mean, what, what is, what are they competing against? Are they competing against the game? Is it a single player PVE sport? Yeah. Like abs- a, I, absolutely. I completely disagree with that. I think that that's a really wrong, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I, I, <laughs> That's I, the wrong way I've, to look at that. I feel like if you stripped all of the Spider-Man trappings off of Spider, off of the Spider-Man game, and just like had people doing like you know like had generic man with like you know like a grappling hook fighting thugs in the street, sure it wouldn't be as good of a game, but I still think it'd be a really fun game to play and a game that could survive on those merits. You think it would be a game that stops the culture dead? That stops the culture dead. So mm. what I mean is, is the game comes out and everybody's talking about it, and YouTube people, the people are releasing YouTube videos about it, and you know all of the Reddit comments are all about are all, like all about this thing. 
Because um, I feel like that's not the case. I feel sure. like like God of War because it had a strong story, and Spider Man because it has a strong story on top of these gameplay elements, right? Um, are but, but I think I think the opposite is also true. I think if you strip out all of the gameplay out of Spider Man and just present the story, it also doesn't stop the culture dead. You strip out all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I think okay. So here's the thing. I think gameplay is like sort of analogous to something like editing or cinematography, right? And insofar as editing and cinematography are things, those don't always have to be used for art, right? If I'm making a, um, you know, if I'm recording a city council meeting, there's nothing artistic about that, but the cinematography of that is important, right? I should probably get all of the council members in a shot. Maybe I have somebody on a, you know... On, on a camera that's make get hitting close-ups when council members are talking or whatever, right? There's cinematography in that, and cinematography doesn't always have to be artistically aimed, if that makes sense, right? But cinematography in an action movie is necessarily artistically aimed because of the kind of movie that it is, if that makes sense. Do you see what I'm saying? I do, but I also don't. I, I also don't like this comparison between cinematography and gameplay mechanics because I don't like. Nothing in a mo- like nothing in a movie like cinematography never reaches the level of kind of the plot, right? Like it, of of importance, right? Yeah, yeah. I, to- I totally get that, and I and I agree that cinematography is not as important. Well, I mean, it's important in a certain sense, in the sense that you sure. really can't have a movie without cinematography. But it's but but like how the shots are are created will never be uh, as important as how the gameplay feels in a game but i think that's a that's a question of scale rather than of kind they are similar things it just so happens that gameplay is much 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 more important to consuming video games than cinematography is to consuming movies so i i I think that the the fundamental kind of difference there that, that makes it almost a difference in kind is that in a in a movie nothing nothing kind of surpasses the plot in terms of like how you evaluate the movie but it, mechanics can surpass the plot in terms of how you evaluate a game and i think that that's like a a, a fundamental difference that like that i i think you're you're, you're too willing to discount in, in in order to kind of just like 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 sing sing this kind of this this art argument if that makes sense So it's bigger than just the plot itself, in a way. Sure. Um, and and I and I would say that the plot is also subservient in a lot of ways to this thing. It's like it is about it is about like the game as a whole. Sure. Right. And when the game as a whole is a game that is built to kind of engage you on, um, I guess in a lot of ways in that single player sort of sense, right? The gameplay and the story are necessarily aligned as art because the whole game itself is kind of aligned from that artistic perspective. You don't engage with the thing. I don't. I don't know that you can engage with a single player game outside of like a macro game, which is what I would probably like typify something like speed running or like achievement hunting as being right, where like you are. You are playing a game, but the game is a means to another game where you are, you know, competing with somebody to get a faster time or competing with somebody to get more points, achievement points or sort of whatever. Right. But like if you're engaging with the game itself as a as like a thing in a single player way, I think you are necessarily engaging with that game as art. 
I don't uh, Tetris. Um. Yeah, no, I would. I think. I think Tetris is first of all. I think. Uh, so first of all, I think Tetris a lot of times comes with that that bigger macro framework, right? It has a score, people sure. speed run it or whatever. You're comparing yourself to a leaderboard. And by the way, I think that you can have a single player sport game in the sense that let's say I'm I'm playing Tetris and my goal is to beat my own high score. I think that's probably a, a single player sport way of engaging with the game. But I don't think people who engage with Spider-Man are engaging it are engaging with it that way or Assassin's Creed, or God of War, or Red Dead Redemption, right? There are some times where maybe they are, maybe they kind of, like, blur that line, uh, like, a little bit, but I don't know. I, 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 I think I think that, like, um, like uh, the, 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 best, the, the best term, as I can use the term that you bring up all the time, which is content munchers, right? Like, I think... Yeah. Um, I think that... The gameplay segments are engaged are, are engaged with as as kind of games as sport in in, in some ways. I, I don't th- like. I think that there is joy to playing a game that derives purely from the mechanics that doesn't necessitate kind of uh, a, 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 an exterior force in order to find enjoyable. In the same way that like you know mastering like a freaking card trick um, has its own uh, has its own. Uh, a kind of satisfaction to it that isn't uh, that, that isn't based on uh, you know like any, any sort I, of see. I think that that kind of thing. I think that kind of thing can easily be artistic, right? I can engage with a movie because it has great cinematography, right? And say, "Wow, what a great shot!" In the same way that when I'm swinging around in Spider-Man, I can say, "Boy, this swinging feels great." Sure, I, I just don't know if that rises to the level of, of art. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't buy that. Like you know that like. Swinging through New York City is like is, is, is a thing that I engage with on an artistic level. I engage with it on a mechanical level. Yeah, so I don't. I don't. There's no. There's no. There's no break. There's no dichotomy between art and mechanics. I'm trying. To, I want to stay away from like the ludology narratology debate because I think it's very stupid. Um, but like I like it is not just about. It is not just about like a story versus gameplay thing. They're all. It's all mixed up together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, 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 and I feel like, I and I feel like when I'm that, engaging, yeah. and I like, and I feel like when I'm engaging with like the swinging mechanics, and I, and I, and I, and I feel like Spider-Man. <laughs> that can be like there doesn't have to be story there that's connecting me. There doesn't have to be like dialogue or or like character or whatever. In the same way that there doesn't have to be like dialogue or character to just like a beautiful shot in a movie, or even just something like, you know, like. Um, like like a like a non I'm trying to think of like a non narrative sort of man movies are hard because they are so like narratively driven or whatever but like you don't you don't necessarily need that narrative in order to engage with something artistically right because it it, it something can still be really evocative um, without without relying on a on a story or characters or dialogue or a setting or themes or whatever sure i mean but like a football game is evocative but i don't know if you'd call like a football game a piece of art i don't think it's the same kind of evocation yeah i guess that's what we're going for yeah i i I don't think it's the same kind of evocation hmm I don't know. And by the way, I do think that there are, like, it is a hazy line, right? Maybe, like, maybe football is one thing, but, like, 
What about gymnastics or ice skating, right? That's a sport. It's in the fucking Olympics, but it has sure. a bunch of people who are, you know, essentially judging someone's dance routine. Yeah. Dance is an art. Like, so it, it, there, is a, there is a thick gray line separating one from the other um, that, that things kind of get lost in, in between. Um. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like... <laughs> no, no, I... I <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I I understand your point. I just, you know, I think someone who enjoys, at least in in the sense that I that I am familiar with, someone who enjoys uh, Transformers is not engaging with Transformers as art, at least in that in the kind of way that I that that you know, like I, I classically envision it, if that makes sense. Um, and I feel like it is possible to engage that way with Spider Man. Um, in kind of like that, like popcorny way, where like the you're engaging with it as a kind of mechanical fun time rather than as a piece of art, and to claim that that person is then desiring for games to be viewed as art is disingenuous, if that makes sense. So I think the difference is like something like Infinity War. You know, like, yeah, Transformers makes a lot of money and people, you know, quote unquote, turn their brain off or whatever. I would I would actually, by the way, very much contest that. I think that even if you are talking about turning your brain off, you're still engaging with it as art because I think it's hard to engage with basically any narrative outside of an artistic context. Um, uh but like I think people engage with Infinity War and the re and we all we all do think pieces and we're talking about it afterwards because it is both of those things, right? You can engage with it through the spectacle, obviously, but you can also talk about Thanos's, you know, Malthusian sure. empathy or or whatever, like or kind of like whatever else. Um, sure, sure, sure. And I think that people will take breaks from Transformers to watch Infinity War. Or, I, by the way, I think people will take breaks from Infinity War to watch, you know, what certain Oscar bait movies. Um, and that I would, I would, I feel like it would be hard pressed to find somebody who's watching like a certain amount of movies that doesn't end up seeing one or two pieces of Oscar bait over the course of like five years, which I guess is what I'm sort of likening this to in a way. Sure. But like, I, I also like, I don't think that because you know, some people, you and I definitely included, choose to engage with Infinity War as a piece of art means that everybody who watches that movie chooses to. Like, yeah, but I think that everybody who watches Infinity War is going to at some point engage with some movie artistically. I I don't know if I can say that's absolutely true, but I'll grant you that that's probably most like, Yeah, it's true. like a 99% yeah, thing, yeah, right? Yeah. And I think the same thing is true for games. I think most people who play games will engage with some games as as art sure right? but i don't, and, and and I don't know if everyone... they care about it though right like you, you, your, your fundamental claim that that's kind of rubbing me the wrong way is that because they do this that they fundamentally want like they fundamentally desire games as games to be recognized as art i don't think that that's that that's true i think, I think that that's definitely true i think that that has to be true because a lot of the times the the way we talk about something like you know the first amendment case that got decided by the supreme court like however many years ago or whatever um the, those things are celebrated by gamers. Sure, I mean, they are celebrated. They are celebrated by gamers, but I don't know if 
I don't know. I don't. I don't know if all ex- expression is art in that way. Maybe maybe we're just operating off of different definitions of art. Um, but I think that I don't know. I I, I think that there's. I feel like I feel like I would be confident in saying that like there are very few people who are interested in stopping games from being in, viewed as art, but I think that there are plenty of people that don't give a shit, right? Like they just want to play their, their 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 blam blams, and you know if 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 it never reaches the art status, I don't think that the, that their lives will be any worse off for it. I for the blam blams specifically, I guess I would agree with that. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like if you can have a conversation with somebody and ask them about, you know, I don't know, like I just I I I would have a really hard time imagining someone who over the course of their gaming career like didn't connect with any game on an artistic level and wouldn't be on board with the idea that games should be taken, you know, like seriously as like an art form right i i, I think and you... by the way and, and i do think and i do think we are op- operating as different on different sort of levels when it comes to like artistically like quote unquote how we define that artistically like, i i think of art as being very inclusive right in the sense that transformers is art right and it might be bad and we might criticize it or any of these other sorts of things but i think it still is um and i think people don't like the dismissal that comes with saying, you know, with, I mean, like Roger Ebert, right? With Roger Ebert saying that games can never be art because of whatever, you know, his beliefs on on that kind of like boiled down to that. I feel like that, I feel like that always rubs gamers the wrong way. So I, I, I maybe we're just defining gamers differently, but I, I think that there are plenty of people who, who, who really just who regularly engage with video games and just couldn't care any less whether or not games are recognized as, as an art form. Maybe this is just a matter of faith in the gaming community and, like, what that actually means. I, yeah, it also kind of means, like, I guess unprompted, I would agree, but I feel like if I went up to any gamer and I said, hey, this is what Roger Ebert has to say about video games and I read out his quote or whatever, do you agree or disagree? I feel like most of them would say, no, that's wrong. Do you mm. know what I mean? I don't, and, know, if like, I, I don't know if I agree un- with you, but I, I'm, I'm willing to grant you the possibility. I, and I feel like unprompted, most people... I, like maybe a lot of gamers don't care. They they would never look it up. They don't know offhand or something kind of along those lines, right? Um, but I but I don't think that that sort of I guess I would call that like like laziness, um, like means they they would not care if presented with the if like presented with it in a focus group or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think we've we've kind of talked this death. I think. I don't think we're yeah. ever going to kind of agree on this, so... Fair enough. <sighs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that that's an entitlement, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, how, is, uh, how was your week? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what's, what's going on? What happened uh, in my life over the past, like, week? Oh, my... Okay, okay, okay. So... The worst thing happened in my life, which was, you know, so the new Total War DLC came out, which I've been talking about forever, right? I've been talking about the Vampire Cozy DLC, um, and I was super excited for it, and I opened up Total War, and I started playing, and I got like one or two battles in, and then it crashed, and I was like, fuck, okay, fine. And then I went back, and I did the same thing, and maybe over the course of like four or five crashes, I just like 
threw up my hands. I was like, fine, Total War. Maybe I won't play you. And I was so like mad about it. I later realized that in the patch, it had reset my, my DirectX preference from DirectX 11 to DirectX 12. And DirectX 12 has a history of crashing Total War. Um, and so I unticked that. But because of the bugs and because of, like, the, you know, like, because of the, the I guess I would say that, like, <laughs> the delta between my super crazy hyped expectations and the bugs that were preventing me from engaging with the game, I lost any and all will to play Total War, and I basically just haven't gone back to it. Because I just can't. I like. I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. And it's entirely my fault, right? Like that's entirely user error. Um, but I'm just so furious that like I can't load up the game and enjoy the thing that I'm sure I would enjoy uh, <laughs> because of that. Uh, I I will shed a tear. I, I will weep tears for you, buddy. <laughs> um, but uh, then you should you should play uh, Crusader Kings with us. Because um, that's what I've been doing. I've been playing a lot of Crusader Kings. Not much to talk about there because the new DLC hasn't come out yet. So I don't, I don't really you know. It's more Crusader Kings. We're conquering India slowly. Uh, what, uh, our friend Nick got uh, kind of screwed over. Like he he had like like three or four heirs die beneath thirty in a row, and like had to play kids up to like the 16 age which is just a pain in the ass oh my god and so that he, sucks and so he like frusted out i was like i don't want to play this right now um, <laughs> um which is perfectly understandable but you know that's kind of like the the name of the game with ck2 uh that stuff kind of just happens um but uh i think of of greater interest is uh uh you know Two episodes ago, I mentioned I was going to Metatopia, um, and during the last episode, like when the last episode was posting, I actually went to Metatopia, and there's some stuff that I'd like to talk about there, just because it's I found it super interesting. Um, Metatopia is a game designers conference, so I did a lot of, or almost exclusively, beta testing of some card games, um, and some and some tabletop pen and paper games. But there's there's some things that I ran into that I thought were really neat that I wanted to talk about. Are you familiar with Powered by the Apocalypse or Apocalypse World or Dungeon World or any of th those kinds of games? No, actually, I've never heard of that. Okay, so this is this is this was kind of all the rage at uh at Metatopia, people doing kind of their own uh games that were powered by the Apocalypse. The, the core system is um you roll 2d6 and you add a modifier and like anything over six is some variant of success and anything under six is some variant of failure. Um, those scales kind of slide a little bit depending on like how hardcore your game is. Like the original game is called Apocalypse World. It's meant to be very gritty. So failures are a lot harder. The game I play tested was a, um, was kind of like a, a more kids focused um, game that was uh, like, it was like fun steampunk adventure. Um, and so failure was a lot less hard. Um, uh, but it's it's super interesting because um, the, the book that you buy is kind of like the Game Master's Rules. And then you go online and you download kind of your character book. And it's a set of kind of I, – I, so I'm not super sure about how like the, the core system works because I haven't engaged with it super hard. But this, this, this variant that I was playing, um, you get like different powers and different stats um, and uh, – and you, you play your character this way. And what was cool about this game, um, and apparently people think this is going to be the next big thing, is that it was based on cards. Um, instead of having, like, a booklet that you play your character out of, 
um, you 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 play off of cards. And what was really cool about this system um, was he had like sets of cards, and you did basically a magic draft, and you drafted your character out of the hand. It was a super super cool experience for that. So I ended up playing like uh like a a, a kind of like a, a tall brute dude that was a member of high society and was also like a wear sheep um and those are just kind of like and used an electric slingshot because those are just kind of like the cards i ended up with um, i thought that was a really cool and really fun experience i definitely want to delve into uh uh apoc like th that powered by the apocalypse system more because i think it's a super fun and i also think it's super easy to pick up and i think it's also probably be super uh, it'd be a lot better for getting newer players kind of into the genre, right? You don't need any special dice. Um, kind of the things you can do are relatively simple and kind of handed to you in the form of, of these booklets. Um, oh, another really interesting mechanic is every time you fail a roll, you get an experience point. Uh, kind of like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Um, and, and so like you get a, you get rewarded a little bit even for failing. It was a, right, right, right. a really cool experience. Um the other thing I wanted to talk a little bit about was um, I played a couple of games that were GM-less systems, um, which I thought were interesting is the way I'm going to put it. Um, I feel like they definitely uh, skew more towards kind of like the uh, the theater kid aspect. And in a lot of ways, I feel like it was just kind of like, you know, like improv with like slight rules attached to it. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about it. It was definitely a fun experience. I just don't know if it's like the same kind of experience I want to pull out of a, um, a a tabletop game when I go to play that. But there were some neat things to highlight about them. The first one I played was a uh, another steampunk e game. Um, uh, we didn't actually play the the like play the narrative, but we did like world building, and it had some cool ideas there. Um, you start the game out by. Uh, uh, and this this might be changed, but uh, by picking a sphere of each care each player chooses a sphere of influence, and you get to determine that like you have final say on things about the world that have to do with that sphere of influence. Um, like I picked law, and like I like you know me being who I am, I was like you know like yeah, um, uh, like uh, the, the the kind of plot. So so the the kind of seed for the story was. Um, uh, a new presidential candidate makes his debut, right? And this is in like a post Civil War steampunky America, and so, um, uh, we decided that it was like a robot candidate, and I was like, yes, there was just a Supreme Court decision that you know, uh, that 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 ruled that robots are 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 people too and so are, are endowed with full rights if they can be determined to be sentient um and uh like none of this is like like most of this isn't built into like the the kind of the the world building there's there's a little bit of it but like we suddenly start like building up this whole world around around this like my characters um like a a marshal like a u.s marshal um, like an agent of the court, because of course I'm gonna right, do right, that. Right. Like um, another guy plays like uh, 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 like a, there, there's two like mad scientists on the team that have like their own interactions. Um, one of the other guys is like a his sphere is frontier, and he played like like he's uh, Davy Sprocket. He's like a robot frontiersman, and and, and uh, uh, like it's, there's like no GM modify any of this. So we're just kind of telling the story together. It was a lot of fun, but like I said, not quite exactly. Um, what I 
what I'm looking for when I sit down to play a tabletop game, but definitely a very fun experience on its own. I'd definitely be interested in exploring some of that more. Have you, have you ever played any anything GMless? I have not, but I have heard about different ways in order to do that with stuff like D&D, um, you know, like making a dungeon deck or whatever. And that actually does sound super fun to me. I think I would have a lot of fun, like, fighting a like a, like a dungeon deck. Um, I think you'd actually really enjoy kind of like the collaborative storytelling elements of these kind of... It Honestly, it, it honestly sounds a lot like the RP that I do in World of Warcraft. You know what? That, that, the time that sounds about just, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like... Uh, it's funny because there are some there are some aspects of it that are a little bit different, um, but in general, you there, like there's a certain kind of like cooperative aspect or like or like a cooperative sort of like influence on it that everybody wants everybody else to have a really good time um, that I think makes that kind of thing work. I feel like that kind of interaction would collapse if somebody was trying to like. Um, you know, like somebody who's trying to like make themselves the center of attention and solve all the problems by them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not, yeah. And not like work as part of a team. Yeah, um, the Calvin Bali aspects. Of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's kind of like a you know. I think every sort of every game has sort of like a failure state of bad players, um, and uh, and that that sounds super cool. I don't know what else. To, yeah, like yeah. that sounds super cool. Like, the, the sphere of influence thing actually did a bit to counter that because, you know, even if you don't have a bad player, there are dominant personalities that emerge. But you always, like, you always have the authority of your sphere that no one can take away from you, which I thought was neat. Um, along a similar vein, I played this game called Breathe, which is a lot earlier, but the it's also GMless, and everybody plays a character in a disaster, and you have oxygen tokens, and uh, you have to get through obstacles and you know, you have to spend your oxygen tokens to to get past them. Um, I think most of them are supposed to be drowning scenarios. Ours was not quite; it's like a sinking cruise ship. But it had uh, so the way it works is is you um, uh, somebody plays a problem and narrates um, kind of what that problem is, and that person can either choose to pay some tokens to try and to try and get over that problem. There's like a cost associated with with beating that with, with beating every problem. Um, and and you uh you can pay a token, uh you, you either pay one or more tokens towards solving that problem, or you can escalate the situation, or you can refuse to pay a token and describe how things got a little bit worse. It doesn't have any mechanical effect, but it kind of like adds to the tension, and so and it passes around the circle. And if the problem's not solved, it kind of stays as like a lingering problem. Um, and essentially, when you run out of breath tokens, you 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 don't necessarily die but like you can you are empowered to call yourself doomed and eliminate a problem um and then like you will die um there's also a mechanic where you can steal breath tokens from other players like this is supposed to be like a, a very kind of like um i don't want to call it edgy because it sounds disingenuous but like a, a very kind of like uh like tough game emotionally and so when you steal the token um, the mechanic the guy devised was you have to like stare into a mirror and monologue to yourself while you deserve to take this air from somebody else. And it was a really cool experience. Um, definitely a little bit more emotionally charged than a lot of the other experiences I've had. My character um, kind of died, had like a very satisfying death. Um, he, he, uh, uh, he, he saved someone and then died in a, in a, in a blaze of glory. Um, but uh, it's it, it was it was a very different experience, and I, I thought it was really neat. Um, that was early alpha, so I don't think it'll be out anytime soon. But uh, 
keep your eyes out for that one. I, I think it'll be a, a, a fun experience down the line. Okay. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you have? Uh, did you see any of the other stuff that was that came out of BlizzCon besides Diablo Immortal, like Rastakhan's um, Rumble or any of the eight point two stuff? I watched the Ash uh, stuff uh, for you Overwatch. Know what's funny? Mm. I did not. I did not watch the Ash stuff. <laughs> I know they announced the new, you know, a, a new character Ash who is like McCree's former partner or boss or something like that. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't, I don't, I don't really play Overwatch, and I also don't have a good handle on Overwatch lore, so it's like the one piece of it that I kind of ignored. Yeah, I, the only thing I care about with Overwatch anymore is the lore, and I watch all like the little videos. Um, oh yeah. Just because I like you know I find the world interesting, but I don't find the game super compelling uh, anymore. I feel like I feel like there's a discussion to be had there about like art versus a sport because those in those places like. The, the story is all completely external to the game, and the game is completely sport. Um, but maybe we'll table that for another time. Um, but uh, not only is there Ash, but she has like it's like their whole gang, and like the other big character is uh, is a beefy Omnic called Bob, and like the kind of community reaction is like, who cares about like the the cowboy chick? I want to I, I want my big beefy handsome robot, um, you know, in the, in the way that like uh, people tend to ironically do. But it, it's 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 been fun. <laughs> Um, but why don't you tell me about the the, the WoW stuff? Because I did not pay any attention to that at uh, all. So the WoW stuff, um, this is just like a couple of pieces. They they basically announced uh, what 8.2 is going to look like, um, which is <clears throat> going to be the uh, sort of like bringing things against Queen Ashara and the Naga. Um, we're going to be going to Nazjatar, which is the like the place that they that they hang out in um though it is unclear whether that's underwater or not right now right this minute um uh the some of the cool announcements that came out of blizzcon for world of warcraft though is that they are adding heroic warfronts um right now i mean i love warfronts uh and i don't you never got to play one right yeah okay so warfronts are a lot of fun but they are also like forcibly randomized right where you you have to queue into them and the most you can do is put five people on your team out of 20 um and people were asking they're like can we please 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 have warfronts where we can queue as a raid we can get our full 20 person raid queue into the warfront and they basically said that's actually kind of impossible because like we bank on a certain amount of uncoordination and the the warfront basically breaks if you have too much coordination um, just because of the way it kind of like scales over time, and if you are like too efficient about it, um, the you can basically just like it seemed when they say break, they don't mean like mechanic, like like you know they, it bugs out. They mean you know you can figure out a way to just like go steamroll the whole thing, um, and it only takes five seconds, and that's not and that's not like good for anybody. Um, but what they did announce at BlizzCon is that they're making heroic warfronts. And heroic warfronts are this experience. You're supposed to go in with a group of, of players. They cut the number from ten pl or from twenty players to ten players. Um, but you know, like the idea is that you go in and you do like kind of coordinate against um, uh, against the enemy. Um, and I am just endlessly hyped for this feature. Um, I think it'll be a lot like a big League of Legends to a certain extent. And there actually, it already is sort of like a big League of Legends because there are like creeps 
um, in the sense of there are spawning waves of units, but the units spawn in different sized waves and look for different quote unquote lanes to go down. So there's going to be a lot of, you know, kind of like management of that stuff. Um, and, uh, and I just, it sounds, it just sounds like super cool and super fun, uh, especially because like the risk that you get overwhelmed and lose seems pretty real. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and I think that that's, uh, you know, like that, that's a really interesting way to bring in, uh, sort of new PVE content, uh, into the game. Warfronts have been like a tremendous success from my, from my point of view, um, as a player. Uh, they also announced, what else did they announce? Uh, there's going to be a new mega dungeon called, uh, Mechagon, which is like gnomes that are half gnome, half mech. Um, or, or whatever, uh, that is actually, like, teased in Cool Tiris in, a, in one specific spot, because there's, like, a bunch of, like, mechanic stuff. I think it's called, like, the Junkyard and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, some other, you know, smaller features. There's Heritage Armor coming for... Do you know what Heritage Armor is? Uh, yeah, I know Heritage. It was announced before the, uh, the end of the, the last, uh, expansion yeah yeah so they've been so they are adding heritage armor for all of the different races like the the heritage armor that's coming out in 8.1 is the blood elf heritage armor that makes you look like a blood elf spellbreaker from warcraft 3 um and obviously um uh or not obviously and then uh uh dwarf heritage armor that makes you look like a mountain king from warcraft 3 and only only dwarves and only uh, blood elves can like can access this the next two are going to be gnomes and tauren i'm obviously insanely hyped for the tauren one the tauren one is actually very cool because the cloak is one of the big totems that they wear um which oh, is, is just neat. awesome and super cool and i'm so excited um because my main is a tauren obviously and then i guess that's kind of like a bad there, there was a bunch of stuff uh announced um you know the raid where we fight queen ashara was announced but i feel like uh i feel like because it's like a middle year and we're in the middle of the like the game and the story um we are we haven't quite gotten like we haven't quite gotten there yet um and then for hearthstone the next expansion is called rastakhan's rumble um which is based in the gurubashi arena do you, you like have you seen the gurubashi arena uh you mean like the the old one yeah yeah yeah. like yeah, the yeah. old one where you would like go and like pvp for that chest yeah yeah and, and um, yeah yeah the premise of the Hearthstone expansion, which is very influenced by Battle for Azeroth lore in a way that I find really interesting. I really didn't expect that. Um, the premise of the Hearthstone expansion is that, like, once every 20 years, King Rastakhan, like, sponsors a tournament. Um, and the tournament includes f nine different teams. Like, a gladiatorial tournament includes nine different teams. They're all empowered by a Loa. Um, so, like, the Warlocks are powered by the Bat Loa Harik, um, and the Warriors are empowered by the Rhino Loa Akali from, uh, from Gundrak. Um, and, uh, the... Is it uh, powered by Buonsamdi? Is it the priests? Uh, yes, the priests are powered by Buonsamdi. And they also have... So there is the Loa legendary card, um, and then there is the, the champion, which is, like the the team leader or whatever and the champion for Bonsamdi is Queen Talanji or Princess Talanji. Um yeah, right? Uh and so like yeah, it's really it's really cool and interesting. 
um, I'm very excited to see what, what it has to kind of offer the community. The Hearthstone community has actually kind of like condensed around an interesting thought, which is that the Knights of the Frozen Throne and Kobolds and Catacombs, which were the last two expansions from last year, introduced too much power to the game and to the to the set. Um, and so what they're hoping for is for Rastakhan's Rumble, which is the last set for this year, and the next set after it will reset um, the year of the, the... It'll reset from the year of the... Raven? Yeah, it'll switch. It'll switch the year over. Yeah. Like, yeah, it'll yeah. it'll switch the year over, and people are really excited for that because they feel like you know, unless Rossicon's Rumble engages in some really hardcore power creep, um, what will probably happen is it will be overpowered by um, the Kobolds and the uh, the Knights of the Frozen Throne cards because they're like hypothetically speaking, if you engage this, if you agree with this argument, um, they are so strong that uh, that there hasn't been a lot of development in the metagame of Hearthstone since the release of the Witchwood or Boomsday because of how powerful these cards are. Okay, I see what you're saying. So, that's the thing. That's interesting. Did you see Warcraft 3 is getting re is getting a remaster? Yeah, I'm, I'm ex very excited for Dota remastered or something, whatever that's going to look like. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think it's very cool. I, this is one of the things that I like a lot about Blizzard, um, is like going back and remastering some of these old games. I feel like Diablo, if they had remastered Diablo two, two yeah, or yeah. Diablo one or something like that, we would have been in a different. Uh, yeah, we would have been in a different world after BlizzCon. My, 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 I think my single favorite thing was that somebody registered like play Diablo four dot com to go to the Path of Exile site. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Which I just think is is, is hilarious. Um, have you been playing much um, Red Dead Redemption? Actually, I haven't because uh, I've just been busy in my personal life over the over the past week or so. Okay. Um, and now and like my gaming time has all been Crusader Kings two. You know, need to take back the Holy Land or something. I guess take over India. Um, uh, and uh, otherwise, I've just been kind of playing a little bit of Enter the Gungeon. I need to get back to that. I need to play Curse of the Oberdin, which I bought. Not Curse, Return of the Oberdin, which I really want to play. I've heard great things about. Um, and what else? I, there's just so much to play. So many, Too many video games, not enough time. It was like a double-tier experience weekend this weekend for Black Ops, so I played a bunch of that. Um, but that's just more Black Ops. Um, got my pew-pews in. It was fun. Uh, I don't think I've got anything else to really talk about. What about you? God, man, it's funny because so much time has passed, but I actually guess we don't have all that much to talk mm -hmm. about. Um, well, uh, uh, I will say I do want to follow up. I watched my cousin Vinny, and it was good. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I was surprised how um, like real. I mean, outside of the very end of the end of the movie, which is actually kind of made. Like, which is ac actually kind of makes sense from a legal perspective, um, if you if you like follow the plot of the movie from a legal perspective, like end to end sort of thing. Um, but I was surprised how willing it was to you know engage with like the actual technicalities of like the law. Yeah, I mean it's it's that's uh, that's my cousin Vinny. Um, 
I don't know. I, I, the, the, the movie's got a special place in my heart just because it's, 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 it's very, very fun. Um, I actually, speaking of which, got around to watching some Legal Eagle. Um, oh, boy. I watched the episode on uh, the Always Sunny episode, like, it was like Mc, the McPoyles versus Ponderosa, um, and also his review of uh, Ace Attorney. <laughs> Um, and both of them were uh, <laughs> terrible. Um, the, both of them got nothing right. Although um, some people were quick to point out that the the reason the Ace Attorney, uh, the Phoenix Wright um, stuff is bad is because it envisions kind of a weird dystopian alternate reality where it's presumption of guilt and uh, and uh, uh, trials must be done within like three days of being accused of a crime. Uh, so uh, the things and like you you must if you can't. It's presumption of guilt, and you have to like the, the the lore of the world is you have to find the real perpetrator of the crime, even if you can kind of prove that it wasn't your guy that did it. Um, and that's just kind of the core conceit of the game and like the anime wow. they made out of it. That is like actually yeah. like weirdly, I guess, yeah. dystopian. Yeah. Um, I think it was more for game mechanics, and it's not really like played up as being like, you know, like people claim it's supposed to be a commentary on the Japanese system because the Japanese system has kind of like some of these injustices built into it, there's, like, a, like a heavy presumption. Oh, really? Of, like, there's no, like, formal presumption of guilt, but there's, like, a very heavy kind of presumption that you wouldn't be arrested if you weren't guilty. Some people claim that, like, because they don't have enough funding, they only prosecute, like, the most slam-dunk cases. I've, I've heard takes from both sides. Um, but, you know, I don't know anything about Japanese law other than, like, what people say on the Internet, so I'm not really yeah, an authority. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that. Japan has an insanely low crime rate. Um, which is to say, like, their arrests and stuff are low, uh, but there is some data to suggest that police are really willing to let people go to keep the... Like, they want the, they want to create the impression of security um, and safety, and so the journey towards arresting someone as a police officer is a lot, um, you know, is a lot harder to complete than in the U.S., where police basically have every incentive to arrest and charge as aggressively as possible people and kind of let the, you know, like the DA and yeah, the yeah. court system figure it out from there. Um, I mean, the Japanese also apparently is, have like a 95% conviction rate, uh, which is crazy. Um, so, you know, different balances. You know, yeah, yeah, for Different real. systems. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, if you'd like... To uh, tell us what you think about gamer entitlement or Japanese law, you can email us at somedervisplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at somedervisplaygames.com. You can follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes and twitch.tv slash somedervisplaygames. Um, and any of these places, leave us a review, please. Uh, listen to our stuff. We're also on YouTube. Uh, if you'd rather watch these podcasts in video form, um, I think that's everything i had buddy do you have anything else you wanted to promote i have nothing else i'm looking to promote in that case until next time dear listeners until next time loyal listeners